morning I, I, I was just praying all week long, and, and you can ask my wife, my wife about this week. Um, it's, been a, it's been a long week, and all week long I'd been praying about, God, what do you want me to say? And um, I, I prepared a message, and yesterday I was finishing up that message, and I was just... Uh, just trying to seek the Lord's face, and all week below, uh, all week as I was preparing it and working together, I just, I just didn't have much peace. Um, and I, you know, you get in that place. It's like God, it's getting closer and closer. What's going on? And, and but, but regardless, I'm going to go this direction unless you change it. And um, yesterday, I was just sitting there, and I had a sermon. It was all typed out, all done. I just looked at it, and I just felt so, just that this wasn't what God wanted. And um, as I was praying last night, the Lord just showed me very clearly what He wanted to talk to us, talk to us about. And uh, really, it all falls on this is because we're at the beginning of the year. And at the beginning of the year, we like to set the tone of what the year will be like, right? That's what people do. They start the tone like, hey, this is what I hope to happen this year. This is what I hope to see. That I'm going to start exercising three days a week consistently, and it's going to set the tone for the rest of the year, hopefully. And as I was just praying, I just felt like the Lord saying that he wanted to speak about that, is, which is of first importance, that is which is of first importance. And if you're familiar with that phrase, you're familiar that that comes from Paul. Paul says that something particularly is of first importance for us as believers. And for some reason, I think that this is a pity, but we have often neglected this thing as of first importance because we think it's elementary. And it is the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel, Paul would say, is of first importance for believers. And for some reason, we have acted as if, you know, well, you get saved and then you move off of the gospel. But I would go far to say that Paul revisits the gospel constantly in every one of his epistles. and every one of his letters, he deals with aspects and things of the gospel. Why? Because as Christians and followers of Christ, we must be reminded of the gospel. The world pulls us from the gospel. The world tries to take us away from the gospel to believe the message of the gospel. But we are called to recall it and not just to recall it, but to share it with one another. To exhort one another with the gospel in itself. I'd say it like this, that the gospel very much is like a multifaceted diamond. And the ways that are like a diamond, the gospel has many sides. And every time you, you turn it, it creates a new sparkle with the slightest rotation of any direction. And so just like the gospel, when we look at it, we look at it, sometimes maybe we see it and we're like, oh, I heard that before. And it seems oh, I've heard that my whole life. I've heard this. But if you just turn it, you realize, oh, there's so much beauty in that aspect. And oh, there's so much beauty as I turn a little bit more. And as I see it a little bit more, I see so much more beauty in my life. And I just think that there's something we need to think about. And so my prayer this morning is very simple for us to look into the gospel. And I pray that it would encourage you. I pray that it would stir you. I pray that it would even set the tone of the year for you. Because this would be my call and this would be my, my, my prayer. Is that could we be people of the gospel this year? Could we live the gospel? Could we show the gospel? Could we share the gospel? Could we be people that are gospel-centered this year? Because the gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about necessarily me. We are involved with the gospel story. But the gospel story is all about Jesus. He is central to the gospel. He is what the gospel is all about. So if you want to be Christ-centered, center your life on what the gospel teaches us and shows us. And so today I pray that this would be our heart. This is what we would see this is what we would look at, that we would really emphasize and be people of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm just going to read the scripture just quickly, and then we're going to turn back in, in another passage, and we'll read and, and we'll, we'll dive in. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of walk us through a, a short summary of the gospel, a short understanding of the gospel. And by no means today I'm going to say that this is everything. 
Because like I said, the gospel very much is like the picture of this, this diamond where you could continuously turn it and see more facets of it and more of its beauty to greater and greater degree. But I pray that we would, we would allow ourselves to whatever we can see today that God would expose us to it and change us and work in our lives. And that we wouldn't just act like, well, let me just check out right now because I got saved and I heard the gospel. I, I, I would plead with you, please don't do that. Please, for your sake and for the sake of the world around you, don't check out because you've heard the gospel before. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then He appeared to, to more than 500 brothers at one time, and most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as, as, to, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believe. And he's talking about the gospel. And so we're going to look into this today. Uh, moving to the next scripture, which I want to, what I want to do now is I, I laid that out because you read that and everybody talks about, okay, what is the gospel? And truthfully, what I do think we've done, and I'll be honest, in the 21st century, if we've watered the gospel down. And, and I don't think it was with bad intention. I think what we did is we said we want as many people to get born again as we possibly can. And so we would water the gospel down to maybe three points or make it treat it like a, 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 a four, four laws or some simple thing like that. And we could say, okay, this is and that we're going to get as many people saved as we can. And it wasn't a bad thing necessarily. Our desire was right. But what happened was is that most people, when they think about the gospel and heard the gospel, no longer saw the grandeur and the beauty of it. And what God would want us to look at is not just to have a, a, a two-minute version of the gospel or a 30-second version of the gospel, but to look at the gospel and say, it's threaded through the whole Bible. The whole Bible is the aspect of it. It's, it's all about the gospel coming forth and coming through Jesus and what he's doing. And so for our own lives, one of the things I want to do today is I want to look into the gospels and actually show you that the gospel was preached well before 1 Corinthians 15. When you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes it very clear. This is the gospel that Christ, Jesus, is the Christ. And that he died according to, he died according to the scriptures for our sins and that he was buried for three days and that he was raised to new life. He was resurrected according to the scriptures and that all of these people saw him. 500 people, the apostles, even Pete, um, Paul himself said, I saw him. And he talks about how he's the worst of them all, but grace came, came to him. And he lays out the gospel very clearly. Jesus is the Christ. He died according to the scriptures for our sins. And he was resurrected for the third, on the third day for, to new life. And we hear that all the time, and we've all, if you've grown up in church, or if you've even been in church for a period of time, you know this. But I want to show us that these are things that we must continually bring before us. So what I want to show you is that Jesus preached this long before Paul ever did. And so if you go to Mark chapter 1, we're going to jump through Mark, just a few passages in here. And I want to bring out, this is the gospel. The gospel being what Jesus preached. And, there's a, and I want to break it up into just a couple different ways for us to see aspects of the gospel that I pray would benefit and, and, and bless your life. When I'm talking about the gospel, this is what I'm talking about. That the kingdom of God has come through Jesus of Nazareth. And he is the Christ, the only, son of, the only begotten son of God, born of a virgin, who came to this earth, who died for our sins, who was buried, who was raised to new life. 
And by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the Father and His amazing love, anyone who will repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will receive eternal life. And as they follow Him in this life, they will enter into His eternal kingdom. That's the good news that we get to preach. And one of the things that I wanted you to think when, when I said that was the first statement I said was this. That the gospel is the kingdom of God. It's often a neglected thing. But when you read right here and you look at the verse with me in chapter 1, I want you to notice something. That maybe you've heard the gospel your whole life, but maybe you've never heard this. When you read Mark chapter 1 verse 14, you read this passage. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus is preaching the gospel. Let's lay that out very clearly. This is not, this, Jesus was preaching the gospel. Sometimes we say, well, the gospel was preached when Paul got around. No, Jesus was preaching the gospel. And it says he's preaching the gospel of God. And then it says, and this is the only place in the New Testament where you see this with Jesus. Other places it says he preached the gospel. But this is the only time you see where it says this is what he was saying when he was preaching the gospel. And this is what Jesus said. And saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, this is what I want us to see today, is that for us to know and grasp the gospel, we have to understand that the kingdom of God is part of it. And, and, and you may sit back and be like, well, I've never heard anybody talk about the kingdom of God as far as being part of the gospel. Most gospel presentations have nothing to do with the kingdom. And I would say it's, it's a sad thing. It doesn't mean you can't get born again. It doesn't mean you can't come to know Jesus. But it's a missing part of our understanding of the gospel. And when we get this, Not by mere memorization of scripture or by a lecture, but by the power of the Spirit of God bringing revelation about the kingdom of God to our lives. It radically changes the way we live and the things that we look for and we hope for in this life. Fortunately for us, Pastor Lee has been preaching about the kingdom of God on Wednesday nights for a long period of time now. God has burned it within his heart. And the kingdom of God is an important part. And so in other words, when you read this, the first thing you see about the gospel, the first thing that Jesus preaches about is the kingdom of God. In fact, it's not the first thing, it's also the last thing. If you read Acts chapter 1, Jesus is resurrected, he's been with his disciples for 40 days. Do you know what it says he talked about with them for 40 days? Kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God over a hundred times in the Gospels, and yet somehow it is something that we just bypass over. And we don't desire to understand, but Jesus said it's gospel. It's good news. The kingdom of God is good news for all of us. And so we cannot neglect this. We cannot neglect what Jesus is saying here. And so the question is, what is Jesus saying? If the gospel involves the kingdom of God, which involves other things, and we'll get to that. But if it involves the kingdom of God, and and that's the first thing we see according to scripture, is that we cannot bypass this. We cannot just jump over this. But we have to ask, what is Jesus saying? What does Jesus mean when he makes the statement? He's preaching the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or maybe some of your translations may say is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The only way to understand what Jesus is saying here is very simply to understand what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And it's simple simplicity and the simplest way to put it. The kingdom of God is really just the reign and rule of God. The reign and rule of God. What is God's kingdom? It's where he reigns and he rules. In that way. And in that place where he reigns and rules, the blessings of God are poured out. I would go far to say that the whole Bible story is a story of kingdom. Maybe you don't think it through that lens. Maybe you've never thought of it that way before. But when you think about the Bible story, if the kingdom of God is about the reign and rule of God, and that's what it's talking about. You think about the beginning of the Bible and you look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, you saw Adam and Eve and they were in God's 
place in God's kingdom. His rule and his reign was in the garden. And, and within that place, what would happen there? In the pre- there would be the presence of God and there would be the blessing of God. So underneath the rule and reign of God and in the kingdom of God, you would be blessed and you'd have everything you could ever want. Complete joy. Complete peace. Complete happiness. All of these things were found in the kingdom of God. All of these things were found there where Adam and Eve were under the rule and reign of God. But you know the biblical story. You've heard the story before where Adam and Eve decided not to to submit themselves to the rule and reign of God or the kingdom of God. But they would step out and decide we want to rule and reign for ourselves. We want to object to the kingdom of God and we want to build our own kingdom. We want to decide what is right and wrong. We want to be the makers of good and evil. We want to tell God, this is what is right and this is what's wrong. We want to make law for ourselves. And in that moment, when they took the step out from underneath the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, what they essentially were doing is they were stepping away from the blessings of God. I mean, really, if they had not, all of eternity, they would have stayed in a place of blessing. But instead, they rebelled and they stepped away from it. And what happened was, is they stepped into a place of curse. Outside and away from the kingdom of God is a dangerous place. It's a place where the curses are, where the danger is, where the blessing of God cannot be experienced yet known. And so you read this passage and you, read, and you think about what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus is saying this. The kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule and reign has come. It's here. When Jesus came to the earth, Jesus came preaching, God's kingdom is here. And it's through me. It's through Jesus Christ. In other words, God's rule and reign has come. And those who would receive his rule and reign and his kingdom in their life would be blessed. They would know the joy of God. They would know the peace of God. They would know the power of the kingdom. They would know the life of God. Why? Because it's only found where God blesses. And where God blesses is in his kingdom. You could, you, you could say it like this from the beginning of the Bible when Adam and Eve stepped away and rebelled against the kingdom of God. God's kingdom on, on, in heaven was never messed up in any way. It was never fissured in any way. But the kingdom in earth, God then at that moment knew long before this. But he also at that moment, he made the declaration, I'm going to restore my rule and reign on the earth. And the biblical story is the restoration of God's rule and reign on the earth for the purpose of having people in his kingdom to bless them and love them and care for them. This is what God has wanted. Think about the end of the story. The end of the story is about a kingdom. God's kingdom has long been this. God's kingdom has always desired this. God has wanted his kingdom so that he could bless and he could invite. So when Jesus comes onto the scene and makes this statement about the gospel that we often neglect, even when we share with one another or share with lost people, God's kingdom is at hand. What Jesus was saying is that the world today, God's kingdom is invading. God's kingdom is invading. And the question you would ask this is, so why is that good news? Because we don't talk about it as good news. But the question would be, why is this good news to you? Why should this be good news to a believer? Why should it be good news to a lost person? Well, here's the truth. It's because the world is broken. Look around right now. Not in this room, but in the world today. It's not a mystery the world is broken. It's not a mystery that there is murder, famine, war, rape. Molestation, drug overdoses, all of these things in the world. And so when Jesus was coming on the, on the world today, he was saying this, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is invading, and he is going to fix the broken place. Where there is brokenness, the kingdom invades. 
And how is the kingdom described in the gospel or in the words of, of Paul? That it is a kingdom described of peace, joy, and power of the Holy Spirit. And so when God's kingdom comes, God's kingdom comes with peace and joy and righteousness and power and demonstration. So you, how is this good news to you? How many of you in here today are surrounded by brokenness? Your family's broken. Maybe your very life's broken. Maybe you have a lost friend that's their lives are just completely broken. You know what's good news to them? You know what could be good news to them? That the kingdom of God is here. That the kingdom of God has come. That though things look broken, then we know the truth is that God's kingdom is here. And not only that, though it's here in partiality, when Jesus came, he came it, he came and he brought it in partiality, he will come again and then he will bring it in its fullness. The kingdom of God will fully be here on this earth. Habakkuk says this. He says that in, the, in, in, in chapter 2, verse 14, he says that there will come a day when the whole, uh, the whole earth will be covered as the water of the sea is covers the earth, so will the glory of God cover the earth. In other words, the day when the kingdom of God comes, the whole earth will have the reign and rule of God. And guess what that means for the whole earth? Remember, the reign and rule of God is where the blessing of God is experienced. All of earth will be blessed. All of earth will rejoice. All of earth will declare God's kingdom reigns. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. And so you look at a broken world, and maybe you even look at a broken life in this church that you might know or you might be in yourself. What do you need today? You need to hear the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand and that the kingdom of God is coming again. And that that kingdom is your hope. It is your confidence. It is your joy. It is why Jesus says to his disciples, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the problem is, is that so many of us don't have any reality, a revelation of the kingdom of God. That that's just words. It's a prayer we memorize. But when we have the revelation that the kingdom of God is what we long for, and hope for because it is where God's blessing comes is where we can experience the joy and the peace of God. We make it our prayer. God, bring your kingdom. Haste the day till your kingdom comes. The beautiful reality for many of us is not only that it's good news for the future, but it's good news now. When Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't just saying you have to look to the future, but he was saying in this present moment, the kingdom can still be experienced in this present moment. It's why Christians can actually be described as people that actually walk around in the midst of sorrow and have peace. It's why the testimony of Shannon Cannon can happen. Where she can suffer in her body greatly. And yet, you see the joy of the Lord is her strength. Because the kingdom of God is a reality in her. Because the kingdom of God has influenced her life. Because she submitted to the rule and reign of God. And as she submits to the rule and reign of God, God's peace and God's joy and God's power in the midst of trials is there. And so for some of us, maybe it's this. Maybe we, have, we, we, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be saved of our sins. But we don't want to let the rule and reign of God happen. But I would say this to you. Don't do that because the rule and reign of God is the blessing of God. When we submit to Jesus... In his kingdom in our life, his rule and reign, you will find the blessing. All those things that you need in this life, he will care for you. But let him rule and reign. Let him have your life. So the good news is simply when Jesus starts off and he becomes onto the scene to begin to preach, he preaches about the kingdom. And I ask you, who in here needs to hear that the kingdom is coming? Who needs hope today? 
Not even just that about yourself. Who do you know that needs hope? Literally. Who do you know that is very walking through some of the most difficult things in their life and they just feel like we are done. Tell them the hope that the kingdom of God and its fullness will be here and it won't be like this anymore. Go declare the gospel good news of the kingdom. Jesus not only says this, but he speaks about more about the kingdom. And you can flip over with me to Mark chapter 8. Again, I just want to show you that the kingdom, the, the, the gospel of Jesus was preached long before we even see Paul pick it up. Though Paul preaches it and, and expounds on it and brings more aspects to it. Talks about the grace of God in more ways. All these sort of things. But the second thing that you see about the gospel here is that what Jesus brings out. Is in verse 27. I want you to look at this. This is Jesus bringing his disciples on a good old field trip to the uh, Caesarea Philippi. Far away from the popularity where crowds are following him. He's bringing them to a Gentile town that's of, that's of evil, evil things that occurred there. And in verse 27, Jesus went, it says, Jesus went on with his disciples to the village, villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples this question. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them the most important question of all, but who do you say that I am? Scripture tells us that Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the anointed one. Right? This is who Jesus said, this is who Peter confessed them. And Matthew 16 says, where Peter would say, or Jesus would respond to Peter says, you're correct, you're right. But flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you, Simon Barjona. In other words, Jesus was confirming his declaration of what Peter was declaring about Jesus. And when you read 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the gospel. He lays it out first. This is what he says, is that Christ. You see, you have to understand this about the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus, there's the kingdom of God, but Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Jesus is the Christ, the king of the kingdom. He is the anointed one of God. He is the son of God. He is the one who is the anointed king to rule the kingdom of God. And if Jesus was not that, he would just be another good teacher. But Jesus is more than just another good teacher. He's not just someone who gave good. He's not a Gandhi. He's not someone who just gave good parables. But he is one who is the Messiah. The term Christ simply means Messiah, anointed one, anointed king. And in other words, what Peter was declaring in that moment, he was was declaring this, that Jesus was the one that all of the Old Testament had hung on. Jesus himself in Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, made the declaration to his disciples. He said, when you read the Old Testament, when you read this, I want you to understand that every bit of it points to me. All of the Old Testament. In this statement, when he calls him the Christ, he's saying that you are the one that fulfilled over 400 Old Testament prophecies. Jesus would be the anointed one. And this is good news. And we ask, why is it good news? Why is it good news that Jesus is the king of the kingdom or he's God's anointed king for the kingdom? The truth is, it's very simple for us to think about why it's good news today. It's because of what the Old Testament says he would be. Yes, he's the Messiah. But what does the Messiah do? How many of you need to know that Jesus crushed the serpent's head? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first promise about the Messiah in the Old Testament talks about how Jesus, the one would come, the seed of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. How many of you feel like you're in a fight against Satan and you're battling? You need to know that Jesus is the Christ and he is the Christ, the anointed one who took his heel and crushed the serpent's head. This is what we need. The gospel is not just a salvation message. It is a salvation message. But it's a message for the saints of God to be encouraged and strengthened because we have no idea how much time's left. We're down to the two minutes or the 30 seconds or whatever it might be. Could we be gospel people towards the end? Could we hang on to that Jesus is the Christ? He's crushed the serpent's head. 
Not only does the Old Testament say that about him, but there's so many prophecies about him. One of the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah 11.10 talks about how the root of Jesse, this being the Messiah, would stand as a banner for the peoples of the nations will rally to him, and they will find a place of rest with him. This is what it means. The nations. Jesus will be a Messiah that all people can come to. Not one person in this room would be left out of the invitation to find rest in Jesus. It's good news because some of us sometimes feel like, God, I, I, I have no rest in my life. I'm broken. All these situations, I'm, 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 I'm anxi- filled with anxiety and fear and depression and whatever it might be. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you don't get to come because you're not a Jew. Or, hey, you don't get to come because you didn't do this. Or, hey, you don't get to come because you did this. He says, all the nations, I mean, all people will be able to come to this Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the king of the kingdom, and find rest in him. Who needs rest? What lost friend of yours needs rest? And they're toiling and toiling and toiling. We have the answer. The Christ. Jesus Christ. The anointed one. The Messiah. He says, when he quotes in Luke chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah 61 where he talks about how the spirit of God was given to him so that he could be anointed. The Lord has anointed me, he says, to proclaim good news to the poor. The phrase poor there means those who could not help themselves. Guess what the Messiah has come to do? Help those who couldn't help themselves. Who in here finds themselves you cannot help yourself? You're in a situation you don't know how to help yourself. You can't. Guess what? He's been anointed as the Christ, the king of the kingdom, to help you today. In your battle, in your trial, in your suffering, in your battle, he's here to help you in your helpless state. Praise God for the king of kings. Praise God that he is the Christ. Praise God that it's not Jesus, a man, but Jesus, the Christ, the anointed son of God, the anointed king of God, who would be the king of the kingdom for us in all of these ways. He also says this, that in this, those who come to him, he, the one that when he come, he would be the messenger of the covenant, the new covenant, speaking of Malachi 3.1, that when he comes, we would find delight in him because what? He would bring a new covenant. So what, why? Why is it good news? Because he brought a new covenant for you. He brought a new covenant for me. Where the old covenant we could not keep and we could not do anything to earn our way or keep ourselves clean or do enough to attain to anything to be right with God. But the scriptures say the Messiah when he comes, the Christ, the anointed one, when he comes, the king of the kingdom, he will bring the new covenant. And when he brings the new covenant, you who could not come into the presence of God, now have access into the presence of God by the blood of him. This is a declaration. So it's like, what, 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 are, you, what are you walking through? What, what are you walking through that you, you, don't, you would say, that's elementary, I don't need the gospel anymore. It's the, it's the reality, I need it every day. I need to be reminded of these things daily. Because if I'm not, I'm going to be pulled one way or the other, and I cannot be pulled from the gospel. I must hold to the gospel the second reason why it's important for us to understand that Jesus is the king of king or, or the king of the kingdom and the anointed one is very simple. It's the type of king he is. Why, why is it good news that he's the king and not somebody else? Think about the kind of king he is. When you look at the Bible and the, and the, and the Gospels, it's very intentional that they contrast and compare Herod and Jesus. Herod's kingdom was threatened and he slaughtered babies. Jesus was slaughtered so people could come into his kingdom. Herod wanted no one to compete with his kingdom. Jesus wanted everybody to come into his kingdom. 
Jesus was willing to lay down his life. There's a, Herod actually had, I don't know if you know this, but Herod actually had a mountain built for his name. He got slaves and he built a mountain on their back where he shoveled and made them shovel dirt to build a mountain. And then he would build a ta- palace on it that he would take the, the, the architecture designs for and destroy them because he wanted the rest of the world to forever wonder, how did you do this? Because he wanted to build himself on the backs of others. Jesus got on his knees and washed the feet of his people. You know why it's good news that Jesus is the anointed one and he's the Christ and not some other earthly king? Because he's the king that loves and serves his people. He's the king who cares for you. You are not alone today because Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, and he has the power and the anointing to do something about it. He's not equipped in a weak way where he cannot do something about you and your situation, but he's been anointed by God to set free the captives, to open the sight of the blind. To bring life to you today. The gospel good news for you. So it's important for us to understand. Yes the gospel is this. Jesus. The kingdom of God has come through Jesus. But Jesus is the king. He's the Christ of that kingdom. But then also. What would this king do? And when you look, continue looking at Mark chapter 8. You'll see this. Jesus understands the confession that they make. He sees very clearly. You call me the Christ. And you are right uh, Simon Barjona. You have it correct. And in verse 30 it says. He strictly charged them to tell no one. Verse 31, Jesus makes a statement, then he says, And then begin to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and be killed. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel was what? Jesus is the Christ, that he would die for our sins. What did Jesus just say about himself? You know what's funny? He says this three times in the gospel of Mark, and every single time his disciples don't even get it. Like, he said, I'm going to die, and they just, they just miss it. They completely miss it. But Jesus, long before Paul ever wrote 1 Corinthians 15, was already saying, I'm going to die. What Paul does, though, in 1 Corinthians 15 is he expounds on why he died. Jesus doesn't say it, but he says, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed. And and Paul would say, he did so according to the scriptures for our sins. And this is the part we probably are all familiar with, but it's the part we must continually respond and look upon every single day. Because I think the reality is most of us probably struggle. We always feel, I'm such a sinner. But Jesus died for our sins. In, in this passage, it's so clear that the, Paul makes the, the declaration in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus died for our sins. And it leads us to the question then, why? Why did Jesus have to die for our sins? What did he die for our sins for? Why? Why? Right? It's, it's a simple question we always ask, but it's the truth. It's because of who God was. Because God is holy and God is just and God is righteous, we know that sin cannot come into the presence of God. He cannot be with sin. Sin cannot enter into his kingdom. Going back to this, the Bible story is a story about the kingdom. It's this invitation. God has long desired for his people to be in his kingdom with them so that he could bless them and love them and have intimacy with them. And when men decided to rebel and leave the kingdom of God, God said, I will restore my rule and reign on the earth so that I can bless them again. But the only way they will have access into the kingdom where I am is, is with, if the sin, their sins are dealt with. So what did God do? We all know it. He sent Jesus. Jesus, who would go to the cross who would take the nails in his hands, who would be whipped in his back, who would suffer and die, who would go through an excruciating, excruciating painful torture and death in every way, would do so so that our sins could be forgiven. Jesus would take our sins, and in return, he would give us his righteousness. He would impute us his holiness and his righteousness. He would make us justified. He would make us holy. 
Why? Because he want, the Father wants you in his kingdom. He wants you in there. He wants to love on you. He wants you to experience the blessing in his kingdom. Because it's in the kingdom of God that the blessing of God is found. And he would do all that was necessary to get you into that place with him. And so he did everything he could, he could do. Why? Because he wanted to give you the greatest delight. The greatest delight for humanity is to enjoy God. To know God. And without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the sufficiency of his blood to do something about our sins, it would have never been possible for us to enjoy God the way that we were made to. We were made to enjoy him the way that Adam had in the beginning. Instead, we were regulated to an old covenant where we had to slaughter things and Israel had to slaughter things and say that's the best we can do to enjoy God. One man a year can go into his presence and he might die in there. But Jesus said, and God said, I want to give them so much more than that. I want to give them the greatest joy of knowing my intimacy. I want to even give them from my very presence to indwell them. I want them to be my temple. I want them to know me in every way. And I won't restrict anything from them. So my son is going. And Jesus did everything necessary with his blood to get you into a relationship with the Father. To give you the opportunity to have intimacy with him. I'll just be honest with you this week, y'all. I was so carnal. I was so fleshly. I was so angry with myself. I told God, I'm angry. I don't love you more. And I'm angry that I, I have such a cold heart towards you. And all week I felt like a legalistic man. I wasn't like, I'm going to put up law. But in my heart, I was so disappointed in myself that I didn't love God more than I want. And I was sitting in the, uh, I was going to the store yesterday and I was um, getting some, buying something, and, and there was a Christian song playing on, and it was speaking about how God has forgiven our sins. And immediately I just sat there, and I was just broken. I was like, all week I have lived so, I have forgotten the gospel. That you died for me. You forgave my sins so that I could have the intimacy with God. And all week long I was like upset. I'm not, I'm not intimate with you enough. It's my fault. It's my fault. And all these sort of things. I was beating myself up. And I couldn't enter into the presence of God. Because I was trying to do it by. If I prayed enough. Or I did these things enough. But the reality is. It was this simple. Remember what my son has done. He paid it all. He gave it all. For the purpose of forgiveness for you. To be with the father. We know the scripture so well, the scriptures speak of it, that God showed his love for us. What? What? We were sinners. That he would die for the ungodly. Jesus would do this. The good news is that Jesus died for your sins while you were a sinner, while you had wanted nothing to do with him. While, in fact, it would be a better way to state it, that you actually hated him. And while you would, we would oppose him in his very life, he would die for you and die. He would come to us. Colossians talks about how we were dead in our trespasses. And, because, and then God made us alive together with him, forgiving our trespasses and canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands by nailing it to the cross. Jesus died for our sins. Old Testament speaks of it. That's why Paul says, according to the scriptures, is because Jesus died for our sins. And I just, to, to us today, who needs to be reminded that Jesus died for you? Who's condemning you? Who came in here with condemnation? I know the Christian life. I've been saved since I was six years old. And I know that you condemn yourself. Because I've done it since I was a six years old. Six year old. My whole life I've fallen into that trap sometimes back and forth. And you know what rescues me every time? The gospel. 
The gospel rescues me every time. Jesus doesn't condemn me, but he saved me from my sin. And he says, come to the presence of my father and enjoy all the blessing of the kingdom that he gives you. Let him love on you. So who in here, you feel condemned today? You need to hear Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. The gospel good news. The last thing I want to say about the gospel, and like I said, there's so many things I could go on and on about. Like I said, the gospel is a diamond. You turn it and you see the facets of its beauty. Is that what Jesus would even say and pick up here right after this or in verse same verse, verse 31, he said, and the chief priests and the scribes uh, and be killed, right? He's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And then he makes a statement and after three days rise again. You think that would have caught the disciples attention, but for some reason it didn't. What did Paul say the gospel was? is the Christ. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was resurrected. He was buried for three days and he was resurrected. Right? What did Jesus just say? I'm going to rise again. Why is that good news to us today? The good news of the gospel, the good news that Jesus was buried and resurrected is that it declares that death has been defeated. It declares to you and I that we do not have to fear death. Up until this point in human history, there has not been one man who has defeated death. There's been a man raised from the dead, but never one that that defeated death himself. Jesus defeated death. Therefore, for the believer today and the Christian in here today, you don't have to fear death. Death is only the means to pass through to be in eternity with God, to enjoy the presence and the kingdom of God for all eternity. Death is not something we fear. And in fact, death has lost its power First Corinthians 15 would say that death had power over everyone. Where death in a, essentially would mock humanity and say, you can't, not, I'm the end. Nothing's going to happen. You cannot defeat me. There's no way. And then Jesus' resurrection would say, no, I will defeat death. And death won't have the last laugh, but the Son of God has the last laugh. He's the one who's resurrected from the dead. And he's defeated death. So death is not to be feared, but death is only the means to be with God forever. Eternally be with him. Not only does the resurrection guarantee that we don't have to fear death, but the resurrection would also guarantee this anticipation that one day, because Jesus rose again, that he's going to go ascend to the Father and be with the Father, and that he's going to come again. And in Matthew 26, he says, when you take communion, remember this, that one day you will drink again with me this new cup of wine in my kingdom. The resurrection reminds us that Jesus is alive and that he's coming back. The resurrection reminds us that Jesus has not left us here to just survive. But Jesus is coming to get us. He's coming to get his bride in the rapture of the church. And in an instant, he's going to come take us. Jesus, the resurrection reminds us of the victory of Jesus. The resurrection reminds us of the, of the new life that he gives. The resurrection declares this. It actually says in Colossians that when Jesus was born, came to life, he was the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he was the firstborn of the new creation in the earth today. Do you realize this? That every single one of you that are born again in today, you are a new creation that the world had never seen before Jesus. There was no one like us before this. We, 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 this is unique to human history. That when Jesus was resurrected and his followers began to place their faith in him and follow him and trust him and confess him as Lord, they became something that the world had never seen before. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 talks about that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're no longer what you were. And, you, and, and you're no longer what you used to be in any way. You are now a new creature in Jesus Christ. We are a new race or a new people on the earth that was not there. And somehow that doesn't seem to face us, but the, the, that is the most incredible thing. We are different. Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, has made a new people on the earth. And it's us. And he desires to take these people and use them for his glory. He desires to take these people and use them for his namesake. Not only does the resurrection guarantee that, but the resurrection guarantees the new life that Jesus gives. The power of the life that he gives. Where it talks about that he was the same spirit that raised Christ, Christ Jesus from the dead now raises us as lives in us. You know what this means? So many of us who struggle with sin and struggle with temptation and struggle with battles, the resurrection proves that Jesus has defeated sin and the power of it. And therefore, you can walk in a life filled with grace and you can reign in this life. And you don't have to be overcome by sin, but you can live victorious in Jesus Christ. The resurrection guaranteed the victory for the Christian. Sin did not win. Not only that, you know what the resurrection guarantees? Colossians talks about in chapter 2 that when he was resurrected that he made an open spectacle or showing of the principalities and powers or the powers of darkness in other words all the demons and all of the darkness and all those powers in that way he did mock them it's like he just exposed how pathetic they were how insignificant they are compared to him because why he resurrected and this declares to you and I today, y'all, Jesus has resurrected and he's defeated the Prince of Power. What do we have to fear? What spiritual being do we have to fear if we know Jesus is with us? In your own self, no, I get it. You, you, you ought to be afraid because we're not greater than them. But it, the authority of Jesus that he has given us and the power that he has given us because of his resurrection, we do not walk around with fear and trembling. We walk around with boldness of the power of God because the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred and he's given us the power to confront powers of darkness. Principalities were exposed. All of these things. And so we sit here today and it's like, who needs to hear that? Who needs to hear that the resurrection did happen? That you, look, your struggle with sin can be overcome because Jesus in his resurrection defeated sin. Who in here needs to hear that though death seemed, seemed to be undefeated, there came one who could defeat it? We need to hear these things because we're fearful of those things. We're fearful of it. But the reality is this is the gospel. And so just so simply, this desire for me, it's just this, guys, I was just thinking, in 2023... Paul says that what is the first of, or most important, what is the thing that is important for us as believers is the gospel. It's important for a variety of reasons. It's important because we, ought to, we need to know it so that we can encourage one another. We need to know it so our faith doesn't waver. We need to know it so that we can share the gospel with people. We need to know the gospel. And I would ask this, could we make the gospel a big deal in our lives this year? That's not just going to come through just simply studying scripture. That is part of the, the process, part of the step that must take. Look through the scriptures. Examine the scriptures to understand the aspects of the gospel that are so beautiful. All the facets of the gospel. But it's going to have to come from a revelation of the Lord. Six years ago, I was praying in my office when I was a school teacher. And I was just seeking the Lord. And I, I, like I said, I've grown up in church my whole life. And my whole life, my understanding of the gospel is that Jesus died for my sins so that I could go to heaven. And here's the reality. That's not untrue. 
But it was what all I knew of the gospel. It was kind of a limitation. It was my, my only aspect of the gospel. It was like looking at the diamond. That's the only piece I saw. And I remember asking the Lord one day in my office. I said, God, what is the gospel? Just, I went back to the basics. What is the gospel? And it set me on this journey where I began to pour over the scriptures to understand what is the gospel all about? And I began to understand that the gospel was so much bigger than just one thing about a transaction for me not to go to hell. But it was about a life that Jesus lived. It was about the grace that he gives. It was about his kingdom. It was about him dying for my sins like I already knew. It was about his resurrection. It was about that he was the Christ, the king who would do something. He, this is the gospel. And I begin to discover, y'all, and what happened for me wasn't just simply I learned the Bible study, but what happened for me was I fell in love with the gospel. I love the good news. I love it. I really mean that. There is no other message that compares. No other sermon can compare it. Like, I mean, seriously, if you could just take the Bible and quote the whole thing like that, quote the gospel, the gospel is the greatest message. So why do we depart from it? Let's not be people that depart from the gospel. Well, let's be people that say, let's put the gospel at the front. Let's remind each other. Because there's people in this room that need to be reminded. It's very simple. You have a brother and sister who's going to hardship in this life. What do you do with that? You point them to the kingdom of God coming. You have a brother and sister that struggle in condemnation. What do you do? Hey, Jesus died for your sins. You point them to the truth about that. And there's all sort of details on each one of those that you could add to that. What do you do? Someone's like, I'm, I, I feel helpless. You point into the Christ who can help. This is what it is. This is the truth. This is what God has called us. What do you do? Can't overcome sin. Point to the resurrection. Always, always exhort one another with the gospel. And not only exhort one another with the gospel, but this. Give the gospel. Give the gospel to the world around you. If the gospel is not of first importance for us, we won't give the gospel. The gospel cannot be an afterthought. It cannot be something that's ten things down the list and it's just not that important. The gospel is something we ought to think about so that we can give the gospel to those around us. And maybe you're not going to sit there and, and, and share every little tidbit and detail of it every time. But give what you can. Learn what you can. Go after what you can. Share what bit of the gospel you do know right now. And ask God to give you a revelation of the gospel. Ask God to turn the diamond to see the other facets. Ask God to help you fall in love with the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to bring the kingdom of God. And that he is the king of the kingdom. He is the Christ, the only begotten son of God. Who was born of a virgin. Who died on the cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to the father. And that he was buried and he was resurrected so that we could have new life. And that we would not live defeated lives on this earth today. And that he's coming again. Here's the simple truth. I just pray we'd be gospel people. Because gospel people are, are Christ-centered people. Because when you look at this gospel, kingdom of God, that's Jesus. King of the kingdom, that's Jesus. Died for our sins, that's Jesus. Resurrected in life, that's Jesus. The center of the gospel is Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. I pray this, can we be gospel people this year? If you'd stand with me, musicians, you can come up. My last plea and my heart's cry is this. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know this gospel, and I don't mean intellectually, I mean you've never come to faith 
to Jesus. You've never responded to the gospel. Today is the day to respond to the gospel. Today is the day where Jesus would say, come. There can, there's never anything worth delaying our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that the, the, the simplicity is how do you respond to the gospel? You respond to the gospel how Jesus taught. You repent, you believe, and you follow Jesus with all your life. So if you're lost in here today and you do not know Jesus, Jesus invites you to respond to his gospel. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to bring, bring, bring you into the kingdom of God for the blessing of God. He wants you to give, give you new life, so the, the resurrection power. He wants to do all of these things in your life. He wants to love you as a king and serve you as the king that he is. He wants to give you the grace to reign in this life. He wants to give you the grace to follow him and to live for him. And so I just pray, if you don't know Jesus today, make today the day you say, I want to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're a born-again believer in here today, I say this. Don't sit back and say, I've heard the gospel, I know the gospel. Respond and celebrate the gospel. Celebrate the gospel. Go give the gospel to somebody else in this room. Go give the gospel to somebody else in the world. Go live the gospel by the actions of your life. Live forgiveness. Show forgiveness. Show the goodness of God. So let's just pray. Let's ask God. Let God, make it a reality. Like I said, take, ask God to take that diamond and turn it. Ask God to show you a facet of the gospel you've never understood or you've never even desired to know. But do, guys, don't let the gospel just become a, the 10th thing on the list or the 20th thing on the list. Let it be of one of the first most important things. Because the gospel is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we want to live lives that are for Jesus, about Jesus, and with Jesus in everything that we do. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, God, and we just thank you, Jesus. Lord, I do thank you for the good news. I thank you for the gospel in every way. I thank you that your word has changed us. I thank you that you remind us, God, that, Lord, it's the end of the game. That's passionately is said so faithfully to us. And, Lord, if there's one thing that we're to do at the end of the game, let's take the gospel seriously. Let's recall it for our own lives. Let's share with one another. Let's preach it to the world. Let's do everything we know to do to make the gospel an importance in our life and not something that's just an afterthought. Maybe you, maybe the gospel's been an afterthought for you. Repent today. Repent today of that. And ask God to put it in your heart, to put it in your mind, to put it in your thoughts, to put it everywhere that you need it to be so that we can be reminded that we are gospel people. We are not just Christian, quote-unquote. We are gospel people. We live and breathe the gospel. We share the gospel. We share the gospel with everyone we know and we can. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We thank you that you are the center of the gospel. We thank you that you are the love, the goodness, the power. We give you all the glory and honor. Just help us today, Jesus, to fall in love with you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor, Jesus.